Welcome to this week's episode. Now, this week's episode is something that is quite dear to my heart because I'm always out there to help, to, to promote other people and to help other people. Not that he needs any of that, but actually I spoke to him because I wanted to know his story. There's a guy called Seated Gun, or I know him as Jean-Paul. He's a fantastic guy. I actually thought I'd seen him shoot before. Uh, hadn't hadn't seen him, which is a shame because I'd quite like to witness that. His, his story is absolutely out of this world. He just... Loves it. And he loves the shooting, he loves the sporting, but he loves everything about it. It's not just a case of shooting. And how he got to where he is now is a fantastic story. So I won't bore you with it now. Take a listen and enjoy. Kick off your boots and put down your hunting knife. It's time for the Outdoor Man Podcast with the man himself, Outdoor Man Dan. Join us for fun stories, useful how-tos, and insights into what being an outdoorsman means today and what it may mean in the future. From ethical hunting and conservation to new stories to tell around the fire. Let's get into today's show with your host, Outdoor Man Dan. So thank you very much for doing this. It's an absolute pleasure, especially to be here. Church is drowned. As you can hear behind us, there's the... uh, the competition that's going on today, yes. but more more importantly, the shooting. How did shooting start for yourself? I've always shot from a young age, and that's just sort of progressed as, as time's gone on. But being a Frenchman in France, it's quite normal that the sons, the boys, are out shooting with grandfathers and fathers at weekends, predominantly bore and walks up. But then obviously, you know, we do do clays, but not to the degree that you see here at, at Churchill's. How different is, is the shooting? So you said like the walked up and the boar. I mean, do you do, they do do driven shooting in France? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we do driven. Driven's mostly done at the big chateaus. Whereas if it tends to work slightly different in France because you, you don't actually buy a day or buy a peg on a day. You tend to buy a license for a region. And then what happens is you shoot the region. And the idea of that is that you become part of a club in that region. And then you have so many days weekends, weekdays, and you actually can go out and you, you know, several, sometimes more, 10, 11, 12 hunters will be shooting together, but they actually don't go together, if that makes sense. So you bump into them as you're walking around the forest, rather than you all meet for breakfast in the morning, cup of coffee, and then go out as as we would know here as a UK-driven shoot. So when you buy your licence, does that cover you for game? Or does that cover you for, like in America, you, you buy, you, you have like a ticket, don't you? In America, you, you get ticket for your, for your white-tailed buck or whatever else. Yeah. Is that the sort of, almost same yeah. principle? How it works in France is obviously you have to have a gun permit. Um, and then what you actually do is you buy a permit for the region that you wish to shoot in. Yeah. So, for example, if you're in a village, you would buy a, a permit that would enable you to shoot the grounds and the terrain around that village and going for so many kilometres in each direction. Once you go past that that element of uh, of boundary, then that would be a permit for the next area. So you tend to buy it for the for not not so much for the region, but for the villages within the region that you tend to live. And that will cover you for everything. That covers you for pheasant and for wildfowl, and it covers you for grieve, which is starling and these types of things. And then, of course, a slightly different permit required for when you're shooting wild boar. Yeah, I knew there was, yeah, I had permits because like, the badger digging clubs have to have per- permits, out yep. there, don't they? And, and I sort of knew a little bit from reading about that. So you do the seated gun. Absolutely. How did that all start for you? Because that's not something you just... No. <laughs> um, started through default, really. I'd been shooting for a long time and 
there was many times when I'd go shoot an estate and someone at the estate would say, well, how have we got on today? What did you think? What do you think we could do better? And so on and so on. And it started from that really where, you know, I just wanted to, to go and have my day peace and quiet, no computers, no telephones and just enjoy a day shooting. So I tended to sort of stray away from helping, not so much helping, but tended to stray away from any, from sort of answering and getting involved too much in what can, couldn't and should be done, if that makes sense. And then I was photographed down in Devon three seasons ago, two seasons ago now by Jeremy Pascoe, walking gun photography. And it, it snowballed from there, really. Jeremy uh, was asked by a national publication to supply some images for the magazine, one of which was me. That publication jumped on the bandwagon of me shooting as well as in shooting from a wheelchair. And so therefore it's just grown from there. And again, it started off as a bit of a sort of a tongue in cheek sort of exercise really. And it's now actually ended up being what it is today. So it's grown very quickly. We're two seasons in middle of our second season. Now we launched our YouTube videos about six months after we started with our Instagram and, you know, those types of things. We now have the website, of course, which gets massive traction and hits. Yeah. It's just escalated and grown snowballed S- snowboard is the right terminology yeah and is it just so i haven't actually watched any, any of the youtube stuff it's on the on the list of many things to watch on youtube is it just you shooting what we tend to do with the youtube is we wanted to show the reality of a game shoot rather than you know what people perceive and believe and you know there's a lot of people out there that that don't shoot that aren't into game shooting or country pursuits that would believe that shooting is for the rich the aristocrats and that's all it is for where in actual fact it's not so you know from a perspective of what the youtube channel was there to do it really was to sort of open everyone's eyes really a little bit to not just me shooting but other people shooting to show that regardless of the mobility issue you could still shoot and there were ways and means of doing it whether that be a mule to your to your peg whether that be uh, you know assistance via a loader or whatever it might be a valet for the day and from there on, really, we've then subsequently gone on and we now in the off season, we look at equipment, the best equipment to use, what equipment we actually patronize as well as obviously promote and the equipment that we believe works the best for, for what we want to do with it. There's two questions that come out of that. The first one I'm going to go with is on a shoot day, we all have issues with some on shoot day. Absolutely. Your issues are doubled, if not tripled in some cases, with also getting around, you know, Especially if you go to a shoot in January, once the vehicles have been in and out, in and out, in and out, and the pickers up have got stuck, and there's divots up to here. I mean, how do you get around common problems? To be fair, as long as I've got a mule, there isn't a problem for me personally, but everyone is different. You know, and when we looked at and we decided to do the channel, we decided to do, you know, set the brand seated gun. The big thing for us was not just about the mobility element, i.e. someone in a chair. It was about someone who might be an amputee, might yeah. be a war veteran. It might be someone who's just an old age, who's got bad knees, bad heart. It was a bit of everything, as well as making sure that the channel wasn't just about mobility. It was about shooting in a general. Yeah. So for me, as long as I have a mule, the big thing for me is getting me to the peg. And, you know, the biggest issue for me is when the field's ploughed. <laughs> and uh you know trying to push across a plowed field is not is not easy and it's not it's no. not uh it's not the easiest so a mule is essential for that yeah 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 i suppose you have arms like we have legs when it comes Absolutely. To the shoulders do twice <laughs> as much uh, twice as much work actually as you talk about the mule and getting places i remember years ago and i'm sure the, the, the fella's dead now um he was an old old boy who used to go onto the peg on a quad yeah 
but he used to spend the day on the quad. On the quad, yeah. He, I, I don't think I ever saw him, unless he was having a meal or 11s, yeah. actually get off. No. I think, the, the, I mean, yes, it is possible. I know people who do it on the quad. Um, I've got a quad that I use when I'm on the farm just to nip around, walk the dogs and, you know, do a bit of pigeon shooting or whatever. But the difference is when you're on it for a few hours or on it all day and also what you can and can't do, you yeah. know, when you're a straddle, yeah, you lose saddle. that twist all of a sudden, don't you? Exactly that. And leaning backwards and things like that, you haven't got the same balance. So for me, to spend a day shooting by being sat on a quad probably wouldn't wouldn't be the best option for me. So the mule gets me to the peg. I jump out of the mule, straight into the chair, and then I shoot from the chair. And then I find a balance point, depending on where the ground needs to be or where <laughs> I need to be on the ground. I suppose Wales has its own challenges for you as well. Good break. Wales is good fun. Uh, yeah, depends where you go in Wales, to be fair. Most of Wales is hard work. Yeah. Hard work. And, um, you know, I'm very fortunate. I have a, I, have, I tend to have a driver and a, and a loader for me. So they tend to sort of take a little bit of the pressure off by, you know, parrying and making sure stuff's stocked up and all that yeah. type of thing. But yeah, it is. Yeah, um, be a fucker to get all the way up there and think, I've got my cartridge bag. Yeah, I don't have that worry, thank God. <laughs> but I have to say, it depends on where you're shooting Wales as well. Yeah. Um, you know, if you shoot some of the Bettis Hall estates, then hand on heart, you wouldn't notice that there's a difficulty no. because the team there are so well adverse to making sure that what you need is what you get, yeah. that they will get you to that peg by hook or by crook, they'll get you to that peg. And I, I have to say, I've slated Gwyn Evans for a long time about lots of things. They seem to have the finger on the pulse now. Because when I, I remember when they first started, it was a case of we just want to sell shoot, we just want to sell shooting, we just want to sell shooting, and it was about getting birds over guns and getting the money back. And now I think they've taken a step back and gone, yeah, okay, that is the aim of the game, but hospitality is there as well. We need the guns to enjoy themselves. We need the guns to be able to get there. And I think they've they've smartened the game up quite a considerable amount. I can't comment on what they were before. I can only comment on what they are yeah. in my time shooting there or with them on their estates. And I think in driven shooting terminology, there are leaders yeah. and there are followers. And I think, you know, the Bettis Hall estates are certainly leaders yeah, 100%. alongside the likes of people like Ripley Castle, Frank Body, uh, Water Priory, Beaver Castle you know, Althorpe Estate in Northampton, you know, those types of venues themselves create an ambience before you've even arrived. Yeah. So, you know, the whole point of a shoot day for me is not just about having great birds to shoot. It's about a great bunch of people. It's about a great location. It's about great birds, of course. But, the, you know, the whole thing that gels it together is having that great hospitality, you know, drinks between drives, being able to enjoy a cigar with a buddy you maybe haven't seen for a couple of seasons or yeah. whatever, making sure that, you know, whatever you want to eat, you've got to eat and so on and so on. So for me, that's the key. But yes, I can't comment, as I've said, on Betis before. Yeah. But as I said, Betis now, in my opinion, they are market leaders in what they do. And I think they've always tried to be the leaders. I don't think that's one aspect of them that's changed. I think the way they've gone about it has changed. And I think they're hitting the nail on the head now. Younger generations coming in as well, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously Will and, Will and Amy are coming in now. And, you know, they're taking a very active approach to what they're doing and how the estates are managed and how the estates are run. And they're, you know, Will hosted as for example, when we were at Plaza Dinham, and we had a fantastic day. Yeah. Elevens is 
uh, up on the middle of the side of a mountain and you know little little mule turned up with a with a cooker and a gas barbecue and yeah. the chef got it all out and we were having freshly shot pheasant goujons on the side of a mountain yeah you don't get that very often and that's no. something very special and you don't forget it either no you don't you don't yeah definitely and there was something else off that i wanted to mention and it is gone not to worry um so obviously you begin to shoot in how much of a difference did obviously because you had your accent you shoot before you had your accident absolutely yeah. did you have to relearn to shoot again yes in a way i think you've always i'm a big believer i think with any sport regardless of what it is you're either a natural at it or you have to work at it yeah and I think, you know, I was very fortunate when I started shooting that it was just something that I gelled with and it gelled with me. Yeah. So because of that, and if you have an, an in-depth passion for the sport that you happen to, to do, I think it makes you a better sports person within that sport. So in answer, yes, I think you do have to learn to adjust yeah. as you would as you get older. You know, there's no difference between when someone's shooting at 21 and they can you know, do many acrobatics on the, yeah. on the peg and jump around and spin and do everything else to when they're then 65, maybe in the back or the knees are not quite as, exactly. as, uh, as fluid as maybe <laughs> when you were a lot younger. I, we were talking inside earlier on when we were having a coffee about taking game in front of you. And that's one thing that I tried to get to my old boss. I was, um, loading for one of his son's friends because his son's gay. And I happened to look across the line and see him shooting and missing. And I thought he's shooting too late. You know, he was shooting when the gun was above him. And not taking game in front of him. And I watched it painfully for two drives. I'm like, I've got to say something now. So I went and said to him, I said, look, here, not here. Bang, you can turn and bang. Whereas you've got bang here, you're then trying to get behind you. And I said, it doesn't work. Lo and behold, next time, starts killing game. And I think there's a big misconception about where you should shoot the bird. And I think a lot of guns would automatically assume that if they're shooting it directly above them, it's because that's the highest point. Yeah. Where in actual fact, when you're shooting it at, say, 20 or 30 metres in front of you, and it's still climbing, that's probably the highest point because you've got length and well. height. For me, if I'm shooting Brigands or Ridgeway or some of the big Welsh shoots, uh, you know, or down in Devon, the high, the high shoots, then it's automatic. Sometimes you are in the middle of a valley in forest, so you don't get any choice other than yeah. to shoot there. So it does restrict me because obviously then I can't turn yeah. to go from there to there. So for me, I suppose my, my maximum lean is there. Yeah, you're done then. But the reality of that is again, that brings then its own issue because if you're actually already leaning backwards and leaning out, you're automatically bringing your arm through. So the gun is coming out of your shoulder. So again, heavy loads and wooden heel plated guns or whatever it might be, you're going to end up with a bruised shoulder or chest at some point. Well, I had that earlier in the year. There's a picture of me on Instagram bent double backwards with on a sim day and I went, Killed one in front, no one came over, and I just kept going. And I was on a hill, and I was almost like, I was going to do a backstand with the, with the damn thing. And driving home, I thought, you shot enough, huh? Yeah. And I realised <laughs> that's because I'd been halfway doubled over backwards without gunning my shoulder yeah. properly. I think it's, it's one of those things. It's what, I mean, every gun shoots differently, let's yeah. be fair about it. There's no right, there's no wrong. It's what's comfortable for you. And I think as long as you're shooting safely, and you're shooting to kill the bird, not prick the bird, then certainly from a game perspective, then that's the two elements for me. Yeah. You know, one of the worst things that I always find when I'm on a, a driven day is that guns that aren't experienced in shooting game, and don't get me wrong, 
the only way you can gain experience is to do that do it but one of the worst things is when you see birds being pricked yeah and especially with the first barrel and then they don't finish it with the second because they think they've hit it so they don't need to hit it yeah. with the second and that to me is a really big important thing yeah. you know i, I want to see the bird humanely killed folded up yeah. dead end of story like on that's how it should be yeah you know, it should. not sort of you know pricking a bird and, and then saying oh well i've hit it so i don't have to worry about finishing it i think that's one of the things that comes with people coming in from the clays not not knocking clay shooters but you know most people who come into the who aren't country focused or come into the shooting and do a lot of game shooting all of a sudden they just they hit a clay or it's broken on the next one where you don't obviously you don't get out of the pheasant you prick it or you kill it yeah and if it's pricked you've got to kill it and i, I don't think like with us, it's natural to go bang, bang, rather than bang onto the next one. Yeah. And but don't be wrong, I think, you know, every gun, regardless of how yeah. good a shot they are, has pricked a bird yeah. at some point. Yeah, exactly. uh, and, you know, and still does now. Yeah. Um, the reality is, is, is the volume of what's pricked and what you kill. And to me, that's the, yeah. the, the, the higher the kill, clean kill, the less the prick, then the better that is. The other one as well is not using the right cartridges. Well, there's times I've seen I've seen that both both ends of the scale. I've seen two light lighter cartridges being used, and I've seen two heavier cartridges being used, which brings its own pillowcase. Yeah, <laughs> problem. It's just saying, think, fucking hell, here we go again. I think again, cartridges is, is again, it's a preference, isn't it? But yeah. there are a substantial amount of guns out there that don't or underestimate the value of the right cartridge for the right right quarry. And you know, I've come across many a gun for example that you know will be on a pheasant day in december where the birds are thick of plume they've been shot across a dozen plus times they're a bit more shall we say worldly wise and a bit more wily and you know they're still trying to shoot them not that they can't be killed with it but they're still trying to shoot them with a 28 gram seven yeah and you know you've got to be a bloody good shot to hit the birds with that sort of weight of cartridge at that time of year to kill it humanely instantly without having to think I've got to use two shots in it. So there are reasons behind some people using yeah. lighter loads, injuries, shoulder injuries, comfort, and so on and so on. I think it, what it boils down to is if you are a good shot, then you can afford to use a lighter load because you can, you'll can you hit it correctly. I, that. I had this discussion not so long ago with a guy about 410s. Yeah, we don't, we don't have them now because like, people just prick them. I thought, yeah, I get that. But I've stood on some of my partridge drives, especially when I was in Shropshire, where guns couldn't hit partridges with a 12. And one guy was killing them dead with a 410. And I get where the keeper was coming from. But on the other hand, you know, if you think you can do it, why not have a go? Boils down to ability, I think. Yeah, it? 100%. That's what it boils down to when you go. So what's on your bucket list? Because you've been all over the country. <laughs> I'm very fortunate to be invited and to attend a lot of shoots all over the country. So we've still got a few that we like to do and we like to mix it up a little bit. So, you know, we started to do things differently scheduling wise for the channel now. So whereas before we would select so many shoots, we'd go on them, we'd film them and, you know, put it out there for, for the followers and the viewers to watch and to see and to be entertained by what we're trying to do now is really focus on different challenges. So we've just done triology day or three day triology down in Wales. So we did, uh, we started at Leighton Long Mountain on the Saturday. We shot there, we had the Sunday off, then we hit Betty's Hall on the Monday, finished Plas Dinham on the Tuesday. So three days of Welsh birds, which was bloody good fun. Yeah. Amazing, amazing locations. Leighton Long Mountain is, yes. you know, this year for me is probably, is well up there within the top three of this season. We've had, we had such a great day there. Uh, Lee, the keeper there and 
Charles and Victoria, who who own the estate, are just it's how a shoot should be run. Yeah, and that was all about hospitality, the people, the birds. Nothing was a no or a can't. It was yeah. everything you needed was a we'll do it. It'll be done, yeah. it and it was. Fun. And that's what elevates a shoot. Yeah. So you know we've done things like focusing on estates that haven't commercially been pushed and you know there's lots of films out there on places like water priory and you know brigands and all of these types of places don't get me wrong we we still want to film those and we film those from a slightly different angle but for us what we want to try and do is bring new estates yeah so you know um and and the reasons behind why we're going to those new estates is there anything you species wise you wouldn't shoot because i don't i I fancy grouse i've never done it I don't shoot duck or deer, right? And I don't shoot duck or deer purely because it's just my preference. Is that, um, is that, when you say duck, do you mean tame duck or wildfowl in general? I don't do any wildfowl at all. Purely because I think for me, that's not what I've been yeah. used to. Two, you tend to find that ducks and uh, certainly ducks, I'm, I'm unsure about geese, but certainly with the ducks, you tend to find that they're breeding pairs. Yeah. So you don't want to shoot one if you're not going to shoot the pair. And to me, it's not a game bird. It is it, obviously it's a it's a bird that can be ate, but for me, it's just not something that I would I would no. actively go out to book a day on. See, so, you now I would I would rather get under ducks or the geese any day than under a pheasant. But then again, I hate pheasants because I just I'll eat it, but I've spent a long a long time not eating it because when you've been rearing them, chasing around after the damn things, picking the eggs up after the damn things. Do you know what? I don't want to see another pheasant. No. You know, and, that, and that's the way I got. It's a different, uh, again, it's that, it's that different opinion, isn't it? A different approach of what you think, of what you see and what you don't see, I suppose. So, an interesting one that I thought of last night, question for you, which I hadn't sent to you, but on everything you get when it comes to shooting, especially live game, is antis. Do you have much trouble on the Instagram and the YouTube with the antis? I have to be honest. We, it seems to be fits and spurts. Yeah. And, you know, you, we tend to get a few comments on the YouTube channel and a few on the on the Instagram. And hand on heart, it's probably wrong of me to say, but if you actually look at the profile of the person that's commenting, it speaks volumes as to yeah. why they're commenting. Their perception of what they understand is limited um, in regards to game shooting or shooting in general. Yeah. They're still under the belief that, you know, people that shoot are rich, wealthy, you know, obnoxious excuse the term, arseholes, which is not the case by a long shot. No, no. Um, They don't understand as well about what shooting actually does bring to conservation and also the fact of, you know, the impact it has on on the economy of any country, you know, and and British shooting is is a massive, plays a huge part and it puts, keeps a lot of people in very rural locations employed, which without shooting, without estates, without pheasant drives, partridge drives and and duck and and all the others, these people wouldn't be employed. And there isn't the locations in those rural locations for them to be employed. So, you know, they have to work on farms, estates, shooting estates, and so on and so on, so that they can actually live. Yeah. No, and, I, and I'll say that. And, that. and it's funny because not not that I'm asking people to complain or, or send me vile messages, but with the podcast, because I've tried to, to keep away from the killing, though I've been quite open about it, I haven't had the abuse. Mm. We tend to get more silly comments, really, yeah. you know, and it's it sort of, you know, I mean, we had one, I think we had one a couple of days ago, and it was, why don't you give the pheasant a gun and see who's, see who's a better shot then, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, people are entitled to their opinion. It's a free world, it's free speech, and they're entitled to what they believe. It's just unfortunate that I think sometimes 
the comments come from from people that actually don't see the full picture they are misguided their perceptions are not yeah what they actually think they are or they believe it's what it's the typical story isn't it what you read is sometimes what they're spouting and sometimes what you read actually isn't worth reading exactly i had a a funny incident a few years ago when i was out with the foxhounds because i used to fly the eagle for the for a foxhound pack and i somehow was amongst the horses i don't know know how i got there late in the day and the aunties were, were in there with us and they were calling all these all the riders you know toffs and you're this, you rich bastards, and, and having a right go at them. And I stood down and started to count, and there was one landowner and five grooms. And, but yeah, everybody was getting it. I'm like, you just don't understand. You just don't. It, it, it's like we've already said, like we've already covered it. It's that perception, isn't yeah, it? 100%. 100%. You know, um, shooting isn't a cheap sport, but neither is golf. No. Um, so it's you know and and look at the damage that the golf course is caused by digging it up and you know laying new golf courses and all of everything else that goes along with it you know there's no different to if it's managed correctly to both sports being economically viable and both being held in the in the right esteem rather than the wrong esteem i suppose yeah yeah no exactly something that sprung to my mind last week i was asked a question on my last podcast actually is is shooting pheasants ethical and we were talking about we were the ethical butchery, like butchery stuff like yeah. that. And I, I fought the corner fairly well when I was asked the question because, in my mind, let alone anything else, the conservation that comes with shooting overdoes the shooting. But then I thought about it a little bit more, and was like, you know, I was on a train way home, and I was, I'd done a week of nights, so I'd probably on my own, on my own, my own thoughts. And I thought, hang on a minute, what's the difference between rearing game to shoot than it is to rear? chickens you've hit the nail on the head i think and that's that's the other important factor and that's one thing that i always say to people that ask me that question if you were to see where your chickens come from you would soon forget and stop eating chicken and start eating pheasant now you know yes okay a pheasant is not is it's a non-native bird to the uk it's bred to be shot what i always say is that pheasants have the ability to depending on which gun they decide to fly over on the day, live a little bit longer. Exactly. But they are all humanely shot as best as possible. The ones that are pricked, unfortunately, are generally picked up by the dogs straight away and are dispatched quickly. Whereas, you know, you go to a a chicken rearing farm, that chicken within X amount of weeks knows from the moment it's born and so many weeks it knows it's going to be dead and they're force fed kept in not particularly the greatest of conditions i'm not saying all all yeah. chicken by the way unfortunately you know if you start looking at the states where we've got chlorinated chicken and all this yeah, type of stuff yeah. there's always going to be that because as a human race we're we're, we're carnivorous so we, we need to eat meat yeah and i said and, um, and i said this uh, and i thought this because i thought actually you know what? If, you, if you go to a shed of chickens and kill all your chickens it's a hundred percent kill rate but yeah actually you could shoot really only shoots 40 percent of game put down. And I know you're putting down a non-native species, as, but if you, but actually, in the grand scheme of things, 100%, 40%. Yeah. It's, it's a balancing act as well, isn't it? I mean, yeah. pheasant goes down, a certain amount of pheasants will be killed by foxes, stoats, and so on and so on and so on. So it's providing then food for them. Yeah. You know, and in addition to that, it's also then providing an, you know, a, a huge impact to the economy by being able to sell days and, you know, have shoots and driven days. And then in addition to all of that, of course, is that you've then got the impact that it's making to the food chain. So what pheasants are not eaten by 
human for human consumption are then used in dog foods and so on and so on and the feathers are used for other different items and it is used to the maximum yeah and i think that's the key you know there has been bad press and i'm sure that unfortunately just due to the nature of what happens there has been stories hasn't there with you know estates digging holes and throwing birds in holes but hand on heart, I think that's a very, very rare occurrence these yeah. days, if at all. Yeah, it's just blown um, up. That's a problem. With what yeah. That one little thing. But I saw again. I saw an article of pheasants being chucked out and found with strings around them as a, a new story, as it were. I can't remember. I read that. Eh? But I read that not so long ago, and that was an old story. I mean, and we're talking three, four years, years ago, and it was it was word for word. I think it's very rare, if at all, if the truth be known. People are happy to take game nowadays. They want to take it. But, you know, it is what it is. You know, it's a great it's a great bird to eat as well. You know, it's low in cholesterol. It's a lot healthier than some of the other birds. So I think personally, I like to see, you know, you go into the local farm shops and certainly now some of the supermarkets, you know, you're now going in and there's pheasant available yeah. as people want to see it, yeah. you know, in the packet with a little cardboard sleeve around it saying yeah. where it's been shot. And, you know, that's all very good and well. And, and the more that that happens and the more educational that becomes, the better it is for the sport. So... If anybody wants to find you, follow you. Seatedgun.com, seated-gun.com, should I say. They can email me at hello at seated-gun.com. Follow me on Instagram, the Seated Gun, and of course then the YouTube channel as well. Thank you for doing it. Great to see you. Take care. You've been listening to the Outdoor Man Podcast. We're glad you're here. We'd love to connect with you on social media. Find us on Twitter at Podcast Outdoor, on Instagram, Outdoor underscore Man underscore Podcast, on Facebook, Outdoor Man Podcast, and you can even reach us by email, dan at outdoorman.uk. Let us know your outdoor questions and be sure to tag us when you're outside living your best life. Until next time, be the example. Be the example.